0: Hi, everyone. Doug Flutie here. This is the Flutie Flakes cast. Big week in the NFL coming up with the draft Thursday night. All the 40 times have been done, all the shuttles and bench presses and pro days. Big show starts Thursday night. Right off the top, though, I want to give a little shout out to Shohei Otani. Unbelievable. Starting pitcher, this first time since Babe Ruth, that the starting pitcher stepping on the mound was leading the league in home runs when he stepped on the mound. Pretty impressive what he's done. Uh, leads the team in RBIs, seven home runs so far, which now is second in the league, tied for second in the league. And he has, as far as their starting pitchers, he has their top ERA. So uh, I love it. It's, it's a, it's kind of a page out of uh, the past where players would play multiple positions, do multiple things, whether it was football, whether it was basketball, baseball, uh, you played three sports, you just do it all. This specialization thing where you can only do one thing and a guy, even, even take it to the other level where the guy's just a closer. He goes in and throws his nine pitches at the end of the game and sits down. I love it. I love everything about it. I hope he uh, stays healthy throughout the year and has a tremendous year. So let's jump over to the, the draft. If things go as planned, Jags take Trevor Lawrence. Jets take Zach Wilson. 49ers are up as the number three pick. A lot of variables going on. Traded up to get to this spot. Traded up to the spot to primarily go after Mac Jones. And now Kyle Shanahan being a little bit coy, talking about the potential of uh, all five quarterbacks are basically on the same level. All these guys, you know, and, and a lot of times as, as you look closer and closer and you overanalyze things, it becomes foggy for you. Step back, take a look at the big picture. You did this for a reason. This is the guy you want. Stay with it. I believe they take Mac Jones Um, along those lines this week. Kyle Shanahan talking about Jimmy Garoppolo says, well, you know, we don't, there's no one guaranteed a roster spot. We don't even know if everybody will be alive on Sunday. So uh, who knows who's going to be on the roster? (laughs) George Kittle responding to that. I don't think he would say that about George Kittle. He was saying that about Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, responds on Twitter saying, well, I'll call you on Sunday, coach, to let you know that I'm still alive. You know, it, it just shows that there's something in the mix, something in the works. And what is going on with the situation with Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, my theory and a lot of others, I look at the Patriots situation. I look at the New England Patriots as a team that last year did a lot of cuts to to get around the salary cap, to get down under the cap and had Cam Newton at a million dollars as their starting quarterback. And Cam played his heart out. He played as hard as he could. I love his approach. He, he played tough. He ran tough. He said the right things when they were losing. And I just think physically he doesn't throw the ball the way he used to after the shoulder surgery. And it's just going to be tough. So I don't believe the Patriots are a playoff football team with Cam Newton at quarterback. Now, it will be the second year after his surgery. Maybe he'll, he'll, he'll gain some more strength in the shoulder or throw the ball a little differently in the second year. Who knows? But I firmly believe that the Patriots are going to make a a move to try to get Garoppolo back in a Patriots uniform, that uh, if it needs to be through a trade, uh, the trade bait potentially could be Stephon Gilmore. Um, he's only under contract for $7 million a year. 49ers are in a salary cap uh. Crisis. Uh, right now, Garoppolo is 23.8 million. Unload that contract, pick up Gilmore, who will be a world class corner uh, for 7 million in his first year. And that potentially could solve a lot of problems. Also, the past history, the reason Garoppolo is in San Francisco is the relationship between Shanahan and Belichick. I mean, no one in the league wants to go help the Patriots, but there is a, a standing relationship there. It could happen. I would love to see Garoppolo get back to New England. He's only 29 years old. Everybody wants to draft a quarterback. Every year we hear about three or four guys that are, can't miss guys. They're going to be the franchise guy. If all these draft choices worked out and these all became franchise guys, there would be no quarterbacks over the age of 28. Every year they would be replacing three or four quarterbacks, the rotation would continue and everybody be moved out. But that doesn't happen. Guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady play into the 40s uh at a pro bowl status. I mean, Jordan Love was the new savior in Green Bay, right? They didn't help Rodgers by drafting a wide receiver. They went and got the quarterback of the future. Well, here's Rodgers 2 years later still playing, still going to the pro bowls, playing at MVP level and uh you know it's like okay trade the kid i don't know what are you going to do with him i'm going to play another five years look at brady who knows so i believe that you could get a good 10-year window if garoppolo could stay healthy come back to new england it's an offense he knows he's a comfortable situation McDaniel as your offense coordinator and a play caller two guys that have worked together um the Patriots have put other pieces in place they've picked up receivers they they're they're solving a lot of issues that they had from last year picked up Aguilar a couple of tight ends Henry and Smith and Bourne at receiver uh I believe that they will be much more explosive in the in the past game And I don't think that Cam Newton's that answer. I watched very closely last year with the Patriots. I did a podcast for the Patriots all year last year. And um, I got very frustrated at the inability to throw the ball over 10 yards down the field. They played hard. They ran the ball okay. And when you have a mobile quarterback or a guy like a Cam Newton that can pick up first downs on his own, your rushing numbers will look great. You're rushing. Uh, your quarterback's going to pick up some first downs for you. You're going to run the ball well because people have to stay home and account for the quarterback and do all these other things. But they can play man coverage all day on you and, and put the extra guy up in there. And that's what was happening to the Patriots. They, they couldn't throw the ball to get in the end zone. They had to run the ball and run the ball with their quarterback. And their rushing numbers did look good last year. But all the running the football and I, I know the old adage is you win with defense running the football and defense. And that is not true anymore. You win games by scoring points and sticking the ball in the end zone. And you can't rely on having a 15-play, 85-yard drive that takes up eight and a half to 10 minutes on the clock. It just doesn't happen that often. You have to make some big plays. You have to make chunk plays. And you need a quarterback and throw the ball up the field. And that's what Garoppolo would bring to this offense. I believe getting him into the offense would allow the Patriots to open things back up. They've got the receivers. They've they've addressed free agency and, and all their issues. And they could be a competitive team again with Garoppolo as their quarterback. All right, my guest coming up today is Chris Collinsworth. Uh, Chris, eight years with the Bengals in the NFL, three-time Pro Bowler. Uh, been with NBC Sports forever, Sunday Night Football. And his big baby is Pro Football Focus. And all the analytics now that we can just... We don't have to watch players play anymore. We can just look at the numbers and figure out who's good. Uh, Remember, you can get your Flutie Flakes cast on the Sirius XM app or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. Well, I'd like to welcome Chris Collinsworth in. Chris is a uh, eight years with the Bengals, three-time Pro Bowler, NBC Sports, 16 Sport Emmy Awards. This guy is Sunday Night Football. Uh, but the most important part, Chris, is that you, you spent your high school years down in Melbourne, Titusville area, Astronaut High, right? So I'm down in Melbourne playing with the Sharks all the time. And all I can think of, did Chris Collinsworth ever surf as a kid? And you know what, Chris? Honestly, when I was a little kid playing Pop Warner football, you're just like, three years older than me. Um, the names you heard were Leon Bright over at Merritt Island and Chris Collinsworth at astronaut high. So you were like a superhero when I was a kid. Cause I never saw your face. I didn't know who you were. You were this image of some God up. Cause when you're little, you know, high school football is everything. So I, I heard the legends of Chris Collinsworth, but could he serve? Not,
1: <laughs> not, not a lick. I, I was. I, I tried it many times. Um, my, my, I'm going to give you my best excuse, all my best friends who surfed, and remember I grew up in Titusville, so we're, it was great surfing in Titusville and Melbourne. So I both played, I live both places, but all my best friends, when we went to the beach all weighed about 135 pounds. You know, I didn't weigh that much. I probably weighed 170, but I'd get on that board and I was like, how are you supposed to do this? It's just sinking to the bottom, the front end, go, go to so I finally just gave it up. So I was like, you guys keep surfing. I'm going to go talk to the girls. Everything's going to be fine.
0: And the hype works against you, too, on that. That's all. See, now, isn't it the, the, But see, down here, all the all the surfers were the ones that were getting all the girls. But, anyway. but you're
1: crazy. Anyway. You're, you're down in the shark capital of the world. I mean, Melbourne, Florida, the, how many sharks on a given day will you see? I, it has to be one per day.
0: You see, maybe there'll be a day or two where you don't see one, but the average is more than one a day especially during migration time of year. They're all over, they are all over the place. And they're like, just a few weeks ago, I'm out with a buddy surfing and my cousin's on the, on the shore surf casting. He pulls in a five foot shark, all right? He catches a five foot black tip. We're surfing, he's trying to get our attention to see it. Like he's all proud of it. We, 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 we never did, he never got our attention. He just releases it right back in the water.
1: How about we've got a guy on the beach now over at Longboat Key who, with kids swimming around out there, puts chum in the water so he can go shark fishing. I'm like, are you out of your goddamn mind? What does it <laughs> matter with you? <laughs>
0: That's what I run at. You know, I'll go out, I'll walk the beach at night or something, and they are guys shark fishing late at night. So they're chum in the water, drawing them in, keeping them around. But it's so much, you bounce around, you always figure there's safety in numbers because all you got to do is be faster than the other guy right <laughs> Yeah. You know, if there's one of you in the water you're the one getting bit if there's 20 in your water you got That's a shot it. anyway it's uh, it's draft week chris a lot of talk the last few days about the number 3 spot in San Francisco and you know they traded up to get to this spot and primarily to go after Mac Jones and now they're like talking all all five guys what what is your view on all that
1: um, it's bizarre yeah, i mean it, it really is uh, i I mean, you're talking about, what did they give up? Three number one picks to go up there. And I think they went up to get Mac Jones. I, I really do. I think Shanahan saw Matt Ryan and saw somebody who was smart and he could depend on him and he was going to make the right reads. And I'm sure Nick Saban gave him this glowing recommendation. He's accurate. He's a humble guy. All, all the things that Shanahan wants. And nobody will ever tell me that they traded up to get anybody else other than Mac Jones. That, that's, that's what they were doing. Now, now you get to this part of the debate in San Francisco. They don't want Mac Jones. The, the fan base is losing their minds that are you kidding me? You've moved up all this way and we're going to end up with another version of Jimmy Garoppolo. And why not just keep Jimmy Garoppolo and draft somebody else? So the conversation has really turned because of the fan base pushing back. Now, part of me thinks that's insanity. We're going to let social media now pick the number three player in the draft. I mean, social media does everything else in the world. They might as well do this too. But, you know, Shanahan's, Mike Shanahan was my coach at the University of Florida. He was the offensive coordinator. When I'm, I'm 22 and he's 26. So, I mean, we got in bars he couldn't get into because he looked younger than we did. So I've known this family their their whole life. I knew Kyle when he was a baby, you know? So, and none of them get pushed around. None of them are gonna make a decision that they don't wanna make because social media thought something else. But I do think there's a little something afoot there that, they there. It sounds like they're coming off of Mac Jones, and I guess they're going to go to Trey Lance and, you know, let Garoppolo play a year and develop him and then let Trey Lance try and take it over it. But, you know, Doug, I do think there's some reason to do that. When I watch this 49ers offense, they do a couple of things. Great. Every one of their running backs run under 4-4. So that outside stretch zone play, they're going to make you cover all the way to the boundaries. They're going to make your linebackers haul ass to go catch that 4-3 something guy, right? And then they're going to go play action and then they're going to throw the slant or the RPO behind you, right? So your linebackers are in a bind. So if you now added an element of a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance on a bootleg run possibility coming out the other way, a la Doug Flutie. You've got a lot of territory to have to cover. So I'm not saying they're wrong for debating whether or not it should be a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields. I'm just saying this is very un-Shanahan-like to be willing to give in.
0: Do you think that's a big element of it? The, the, the styles of offenses that we're seeing now with the athletes at quarterback – People get enamored. See, my biggest gripe is changing your mind because you see guys running around in their underwear at a combine, at a pro day, at a throwing. All of a sudden, this guy's a world. Someone, it's not Trey Lance necessarily, but guy over here, guy X, my guy, he had a great pro day. He threw the ball like, nobody's rushing him. Nobody's hitting him. There's no pressure. Do you see people that change their mind uh, by just seeing guys throw the ball like that? All the time.
1: I mean, all the time and that's like saying, all right, I'm going to pick this soldier because, you know, he, he was the the most accurate, the best marcher during drills, Mm. you know, (laughs) that that's not what football is. And that's not what battle and combat is battle and combat is when you can't run full speed anymore. When this hurts and that hurts, and I can't get my arm over the top and I can't make that throw and I've got to go in the huddle and I've got to create something that I never thought about in, in trying to win this game. You've got to have the the mindset. You're a perfect example. You you go surfing with sharks. Your your team's down, you're too small, you're too this, you're too and, and when I go to we're at the Pro Bowl together, you're out doing a pickup football game with a bunch of eight-year-olds because you wanted to go win something out there. My son would tell me when you came to do a Notre Dame game in, in South Bend, you would force your way into the basketball games and try and kick the ass of the the 20-year-olds that are out there, some people just are built that way. Some people, no matter what is imposed on them, they're going to battle their way through that. That's football. That's, it's not 40-yard dash or 70-yards throws in the air. That's not football. Along
0: those lines, what we saw from Justin Fields in the playoff game, getting hurt against Clemson did that raise his draft stock just that moment
1: I thought the reason the 49ers traded up was to get Justin Fields there are people that are telling me now Doug that that he's still not right from that hit that he's still Mm -hmm. messed up from that hit and he also has battled epilepsy in his family and he's had to admit that and he openly admitted that and talked about it with guys when he runs the ball, and I know you watch college football, but when he runs the ball, it's frightening. And he's not sliding into anything. He's backwards diving into the end zone and at 200 and whatever he is, 35 pounds there and runs four, four, whatever he does. I just kept picturing, could you imagine that beast coming out of the backside on a bootleg from a stretch zone and a, and a play action offense and a backside RPO. And now one guy, that's all it's going to be. You're going to have one outside linebacker defensive end who's in charge of getting that beast on the ground. And he's accurate. Our PFF numbers show that when he throws the ball, he's one of the most accurate passers. Now I will tell you what he is not. He is not a guy that quickly goes through progressions. And you'll understand this better than I do. A lot of quarterbacks who have the ability to run, running has always been their second option, right? They're always gonna look at number one because that's how they get to throw it. But their whole life, the next best thing that can happen in a football game to help their team win that game is for him to run. And it probably still is gonna be that way in the NFL. But if he could get and he could develop, and that's what I would look at him as. I would look at him as, oh, my God, all I got to do is teach this kid to get to his second read, and he's going to be a monster. He has the accuracy. He has the strength. He's already proven his toughness. He's played against the best competition in the world. He had to play against some of those teams that, from the SEC that, that had played 10 football games, and he had played whatever it was, six so, I mean, the, the level of development that the SEC had this past year over the other conferences, you could see it. When I was watching the tape, you could see that if you took Alabama in midseason, you wouldn't go, this is the national championship team. I mean, they were struggling with Tennessee and, and Ole Miss and Mississippi. I mean, they, they were in close games. I'm with you. I, I I personally felt like Justin Fields would have been my number three but who knows i've been wrong a lot
0: the the progression thing though getting through a progression quarterbacks that get through it quickly it's an eliminate it it's not is this guy open is that guy open is this guy it's an eliminate what eliminates x oh safety rolled over the top okay that guy's eliminated even before the ball snapped this guy's eliminated why and that's difference in a lot of guys getting through progressions quickly or slowly some guys are looking to see if someone's open before they get off them other guys are seeing why he's not going to be open and moving through when i went through progressions because of my height if it was a front side read i could go one two three or one to two front side but if i had to go front side to back side with something it was movement it's like you go that way All right, it's not there. I'm going to go backside, but I'm moving towards number three to find that window. Maybe I'm going to take off and run, whatever it is. And that's and I also find that those guys, when you get better at the offense, when you get better at going through the whole progression, they stop making big plays. All of a sudden, it's a four-yard check down instead of he held onto the ball a few extra seconds, moved out of pocket, backside guy broke deep, and and we got a big play.
1: Really interesting. I never really thought about that, that the better you get at progressions – the fewer big plays you get. That is one of the more logical. I had not thought about that. I'm going to be stealing that. I'm not giving you credit for it, but I will.
0: No, you got it. So, yeah, you got a bigger (laughs) platform to get it out there. (laughs) But I believe that. I believe that happened with Michael Vick. When Michael Vick started hitting his check downs, he stopped making all those huge plays. I And I really believe that about some of the athletic guys is you got to let them be natural and let them, you know, one to two is easy, you know, But when you're going to number three or you're going to hit the check down or the little under, I always like to move towards that. And if he's there, you give it to him on the move. But all of a sudden you start moving towards it and the sees part. And there goes Michael Vick, vertical, you know, 60 yards. Uh, You know, that's... over over Overcoaching. I like it. Overcoaching. I'm the king of always worried about over... I I hated the overcoaching thing. You know, I just wanted to be loose, relax, and just play. Does... uh, Garoppolo end up getting back to New England in some form or fashion.
1: My obvious answer is yes, but then I did my mock draft and I had New England trading up with Detroit to get. But I, I think it was uh, Fields. I, I didn't think they could get up to three, four, five that range. It's too expensive. But by the time they got down to seven, if those two guys are left, which I think there's a chance they could be, you know, I mean, clearly uh, Atlanta could take Pitts. Cincinnati could take Chase or Penasol. The Dolphins are going to take a receiver in all likelihood. So seven to me kind of becomes, and that's Detroit, kind of becomes that move area. And I do think – and the other teams that would like to move up are Chicago and Washington – but New England at 15 is going to have an advantage over those guys at 19 and 20 I think it is. You know, New England did everything this offseason. I mean, they really built a roster. You got to know that it it has to burn deep inside them that Tom Brady went down and won a Super Bowl, right? I mean, that's <laughs> got to be they got to be all in on on winning one here in the near future. So I, 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 this is going to be a really, really interesting draft. But to get back to your question. If the Patriots don't trade up and they don't get a quarterback, I think that puts the 49ers in a great position to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. If the 49ers take Mac Jones, who's ready to play, he's ready to play, then I think they trade Jimmy Garoppolo to New England now. If they take... Trey Lance or Justin Fields, I think they would want Garoppolo playing a year and then possibly going to New England. So whether or not New England gets a quarterback in this draft, I think impacts San Francisco and what they can do with Garoppolo just as much.
0: You you bring up Justin Fields with potential for New England that that would be a good fit primarily because of the type of stuff they were doing with cam they could do the same type of stuff with justin and then you still have a dynamic throw i was i was saying all last year that with cam's shoulder and the surgery he just doesn't throw the ball the same right it it looks like when he tries to throw the ball up the field you know the the angle the shoulders when you go to he still doesn't do that we watched him
1: a lot in practice when he was with carolina this is in his mvp days he kind of has a I can't even explain it. Maybe you can do this better than I can. He kind of has a, a a little bring his wrist down kind of thing. So it's great for the intermediate, the short stuff, because he can get up and, and over linemen and things like that. But where he really struggled, I thought, was trying to throw those seam routes where you need a little touch to get it over the top. The, the touch part was really hard for him. You know, he obviously did so many other great things. He's MVP of the league. He went to the Super Bowl. So shut the hell up, Chris. And I get that. <laughs> but there, everybody has a few things they don't do. And I thought that for him, that was one of them.
0: Yeah, when I see him throw, and I, I just assumed it was from the shoulder surgery. Maybe he's done it this whole career. It's, it's arm angles, shoulder angles, throwing those upfield balls with touch up over as you talk. I, I just didn't see that happening. And they, you know. He could keep you competitive, but he's not taking them to the playoffs or or where they want to get to. So uh, whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, they went after it this offseason, tried to make the moves to, to get back to a Super Bowl. More importantly, right, I've had guys like Dan Fouts, Warren Moon. Uh, we start talking old days. And Warren and I started getting into CFL stuff and CFL locker room. What is the trashiest, most dump it, worse than your high school locker room that you had to – deal with in the NFL? Uh,
1: A couple of things. Well, do you remember, are you old enough that you used to get salt tablets? Yes. yes. So think about how stupid that was. I mean, (laughs) seriously, Uh, what, what does everybody do now? Drink water, drink water, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. So what do we do in high school? A, they would give us about five salt pills to dehydrate you before you went out there. You took another five Afterwards, they refused us water they, they, because that's how you made guys tough. There was no water in practice. It's 160 friggin' degrees in Florida during two days, all all these different times. And then at one point in the middle of practice, they would bring out a cooler filled with ice, and so we would all stick our dirty ass hand down to this cooler of ice and pick up a, a handful of ice and cram it in our mouth and that's how we hydrated with the salt pills on either end of it i mean they were literally trying to kill us
0: all of the all the practices that we've been through where we were denied water and you think about it uh, yeah it was a mental t- oh you, know, you stay tough you know mental toughness it's amazing how counter, counterproductive all the things we did back then and we still, we lived, we survived, we got through it. Talk about you know, the mouthpieces that would fall on the ground and dirt on them and we just shove them back in our mouths and guys that would share water bottles with a straw and um, all that stuff. There was- <laughs> you know what the other
1: one was, chin straps. So I, I get to, you know, I played in college, you know, and back in the day, you can't even do this now. I would love to play receiver right now. You got those gloves, you couldn't possibly drop a ball, right? You, and you weren't allowed to hit guys, you know, under the chin. I got hit under the chin at least twice a year, went in for stitches every time. It happened in college, it happened, you know, it was just part of playing the position. They're going to try and knock you out by hitting you, you know, balls too high, they hit you underneath the chin. And they knock you down. So my cousin was a fullback. So I he came to a game and I went out and I come out and I've got stitches in my chin again. And he was like, how stupid are you? And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, why are you wearing that cloth chin strap? He goes, do you think fullbacks wear that? And he got me a padded chin strap. It's like the greatest thing that ever happened. I hate to even think what I would look like today if I had another 75 stitches in my chin.
0: Never entered your mind to put something there that might pat it or protect it, right? we wore, we're, 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 were
1: stupid. stupid. <laughs> I took salt pills and took dirty water and put it in my mouth. We were stupid. How about guys in the locker room? So your first
0: years were around 1980-ish. Yeah. Um, guys in the locker room smoking. Have you ever no, seen? No, but I, I
1: heard great stories about We had a guy, uh, Bob Trumpy, um and, and Bruce Coslet, both of whom, you know, Trumpy was great on the radio and TV, and Bruce Coslet went on to be head coach of the Jets and all that. So the story goes that those two guys never heard a halftime speech from Paul Brown. The minute that halftime, they got into halftime, they both went back in the shower, smoked until they they started leaving the locker room and came back out. They never, they say, they never heard Paul Brown give a halftime speech.
0: That's when football was football. That was when Buckus was ripping heads off and guys were, you know, Lenny Dawson smoking on the sideline and. You know, there's a there's an element of that that's missing now, um, you know, playing receivers, a different ball ballgame, playing quarterbacks, a different ball game. standing in the pocket, not getting hit. Can you imagine? I'm five, nine and a half defensive ends coming around that can't hit me below the waist and can't touch my head. They're target shooting. I get like five 15 yarders per per game. They, they would have nothing left to hit on
1: you. They would, there was no way they could they could size you up and catch you. And deliver that kind of hit that's the reason why i'm convinced now none of them try to tackle or hit the quarterback anymore they just go for the ball right which is a much better strategy right you just knock the ball out you get credit for the sack you get a sack fumble your coverage you hit the trifecta everything's everything's hunky-dory it's perfect what brought on pff for you you're assuming <laughs> you keep assuming i'm smart i'm telling you i am that... <laughs> <clears throat> so nbc came to me and asked me to do a post game show. I was like, okay. I go, you know how it is on the day that you're calling a game. You're doing everything but sitting around watching a football game. You're putting your writing, your opening on camera, you're finalizing your notes, you're putting, I mean, the game's on in the background, but it's not like I can really watch and study. And even if I am, it's only one game. I'm not like watching a bunch of them. So they want me to do a post game show. I was like, okay. I said, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I can BS my way through this like anybody else. And, and I like getting paid more money. So I'm, I'm in. <laughs> so I, I go in and I start looking online and I go, surely somebody gives a nice little synopsis of what happened during the day. And then all I need is like one nugget and I can talk around it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I go in and I, I find this. PFF, this pro football focus. Okay. So I look into thing and I go, yeah, this is pretty good. This is things people actually know what they're talking about. I said, it's gotta be, it's like coaches or former players or something. So I punch, give my credit card 26 99. So I get the deep dive and I get all the data and the three or four teams that I had just done, you know, I start comparing it to my notes to what the coaches have said. And I was like, I go, hey, this is good. This is actually, they know what they're talking about. So I type in, you know, the contact us thing in the upper right-hand corner of websites. And I've never done this. And I type in, I go, go, hey, this is Chris Collinsworth, really enjoying your site. Who are you, right? I just, they're like, who are you? So, and I put my phone number in there. And so about maybe two minutes later, I get an international phone call. This guy named Neil Hornsby, who has a British accent, who lives in London and is a data guy in London. It has nothing to do with sports whatsoever. And the minute I answer the phone with this guy with this British accent, all I can think is, son of a bitch, this Brit just hustled me out of $26.99. That was all I that's all I cared about. I was so mad I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. So I said, "I'm going to end this real fast." And I start asking him about guards and inside backers and safeties and special teams guys. And after five minutes, I finally shut up, I go, "This guy knows way more about football than I know about. He's spitting stuff back at me, and I go, "Who are you? What is this? <laughs> making me crazy?" and he explains to me that this started as like an internet club that a bunch of guys got together who just liked football in england they started collecting data when well, you do this game i'll do that game and then one day the new york giants call and the new york giants asked if they could use their data well they never thought about charging them or anything. they're like yes yes you, you know and they're losing their mind so there's like 20 of them that are in this club. The New York Giants are using their data. The New York Giants now go to the Super Bowl and guess who's calling the game? Me. So I'm driving over and there's an article in the Wall Street Journal. My wife, whenever we go on a trip, she'll like read me articles from this. This is in the Wall Street Journal. She goes, oh, you'll think this is interesting. You know, this British company is supplying data to the New York giants. And the headline is something like British firm, the secret weapon for the giants or something like that. And so she goes, you should use that in the game. You should use that during the broadcast of this, you know, British company. I go, I am not putting in the super bowl, something about some Brit who gave some data to the New York giants. I go, that's ridiculous. I there four years later, I owned a company. I have this conversation within a month I bought the company and now we went from whatever it was 50 employees to like 125 full-time 600 part-time we're going into other sports it's it's out of control it's literally out of control but really fun we're having a great time and we're going to be doing a big draft show this week so it's is just fun.
0: unreal um, absolutely amazing Chris and great vision on it and I it's everything I hate. I hate quantifying everything in numbers because I never measured up. Right. I'm, I'm the other, as we talked earlier, give me the ball. Let's go play. I'll figure it out. You know, I can't go stand next to the guy, six, four in our underwear and look better than him and throw the ball harder.
1: Thank God there are more Doug Flutie's in the world. Cause you would put all of us out of business. Your numbers <laughs> would never say you got to do what you did. So thank God.
0: Well, it was fun. Thank you so much for that. And, uh, we do miss the Collinsworth House over in oh, South. That's Bend. for
1: sure. Unfortunately, that got to be a little bit too big of a party over there.
0: <laughs> you hear me now?
1: <laughs> you know what the most amazing thing was after
0: after your sons graduate and the house is getting rented out. I I don't know. My buddy that I played with in Calgary rented. He's like, "Come on by, we rented the house here." Da 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 da. Yeah, it does. it's right over, right down the street, blah, blah. So after the game, I whip over. He gives me the, I go, it's your house. I'm like my buddy that I play with
1: in cow, Cal- he's renting the house. So anything found in that house, I'm still blaming on you.
0: <laughs> okay, it's all on me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Wish you all the best.
1: No, it's great hanging out with you as always, as we've done many times. It was fun, Doug. Mm-hmm.
0: thank chris collinsworth for joining us he's more knowledgeable than just about anybody i know about nfl top to bottom and everything the inner workings it's been around it forever uh let's move on tom and go to our twitter questions
2: all right doug uh, every week like we've been doing just tweet your questions at doug flutie uh this one is a question for me actually i want to know what your draft experience was like uh back in 1985 go
0: ahead well back then there were 15 rounds I was projected somewhere from a first to a fourth rounder, and I had a guarantee in hand from the USFL and Donald Trump. So I signed already. I was under contract. I was in the middle of a season. I had practiced that day and uh, came back to the apartment and just hanging out and threw on the TV and found out that the Rams drafted me in the 11th round. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And that was about it. Went back to practice the next day and uh, never thought twice about it. Fast forward a year later, though, the Rams had drafted Jim Everett, so the Bears traded to get my rights, and I went to Chicago the following year.
2: All right, Doug, and I would say everything worked out pretty well for you. Now, moving on to this year's draft, uh, and this one is more kind of a big picture. Right now, the Bengals hold the fifth pick, and as a quarterback, what's your take on a debate, You know, whether it's a wide receiver, whether it's uh, Jamar Chase, or maybe you just kind of go with an offensive lineman like for Panay Sewell, what do you think is kind of more important for the Bengals, especially with Joe Burrow? Uh, with Joe Burrow, he likes to hold the ball a little bit. So I, I think
0: you go offensive line. If it were me, I want the receiver. For me, I want the receiver. I'll deal. Give me two seconds to throw. but Just get in the guy's way. Be a speed bump. I'll get rid of the ball. But a guy like Joe Burrow, Joe is uh, mobile, but he's going to hold the ball a little bit. I think they've got to shore up their offensive line and, uh, and protect him a little bit and let him set his feet, go through reads, deliver the football. I liked having that big time receiver for me because I always felt that I can hang on the ball a little bit. If I have to move, I can move. Or um, the quick passing game, because I know what a dynamic, especially the X receiver, your one-on-one guy. I always talk about Eric molds for me that what, what he did for my career, but in Joe Burrow's situation, I believe they should go for an offensive lineman
2: draft experiences, teams that you were on, did you kind of pay attention to every pick or the first round or did you kind of sit back, enjoy your downtime and catch up on everything later? I think I
0: kind of caught up on everything later and really didn't care. Um, you know, I, I care from an ex- point that, you know, I want to have a good football team. One of you. I was never secure in my position, so I was always battling that fight. Uh, I just want to make the roster so um I was a little more wrapped up in that in my NFL days, maybe later in my career, I paid a little more attention to it, but especially early on, I was just so laser focused on doing what I had to do to make the team. Um, A lot of guys, you know, it's different though with franchise type guys, you know, whether it's a Brady and Aaron Rodgers or whoever, um, uh, Patrick Mahomes now, they might even have an input or an influence as to, to the direction of a pick. And uh, so times have changed a little bit and the guys are a little more hands on. And I'm sure they're all it was so much easier to be up on everything today, too, with
2: social media
0: and with, uh, you know, everything that's going on. It's instantaneous information at your fingertips.
2: Sure. You're right. You can't avoid what's going on with your team, with Twitter and everything else. It's crazy. And this kind of piggybacks off uh, that last one, and uh, this will be the last one for this week. How do you think a draft kind of affects a team's morale, whether it be a, a more veteran team or maybe a younger team who's trying to rise up and, and get back into playoff contention?
0: Well, all I go back to is last year, and Jordan loved being drafted by Green Bay, right? Here's Aaron Rodgers. Here's your franchise guy, a guy still playing at MVP level. And all of a sudden you're drafting the quarterback of the future instead of getting him a receiver or getting him what he needs. Now, all of a sudden there was a lot of talk and, you know, who's disgruntled and who isn't. And uh, it can really affect the team. You know, uh, you got a veteran guy at a certain, you know, maybe it's a tight end position. Maybe it's a a guy that believes he's still going to be there for a while. And then all of a sudden he's threatened. Yeah, we're all athletes. We all know it's competition for jobs and you're battling your, your tail off to, to maintain there. But it can definitely influence morale of teams. I think young guys can get influenced very easily. And then the franchise type guy or the guy at the end of his career can get influenced very easily. Well, thanks for your Twitter questions and keep those coming. That's, I, I enjoy just answering questions. I've always been the guy that answers the questions instead of asking the questions. So that's real comfortable for me. So thanks for the questions and keep them coming. The Flutie Flakes cast is available on the SiriusXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. Remember the Flutie Flakes cast is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tom Cress. The associate producers are Andrew Emmer and Chris Tyler. Sound designed by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. And a special thanks to Sirius XM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Thanks for listening.
2: Sirius XM Podcasts.